Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Wow, wow, wow is all I can say. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, July the 23rd, 2023. It is currently 3.47 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I remember sitting in Bible college, Bible Institute. This happened on a number of occasions, even if I was not sitting in a physical classroom, listening to lectures online or on tape or all the different ways in which I obtained education, different Bible colleges, seminaries, some were in person, some were online, all the different ways. Time and time again, I would hear some kind of instruction that would say something like this. It doesn't matter if you stand in front of 10,000 people or if you only stand in front of one, you preach the word of God with the same passion, with the same fervor, with the same dedication, with the same faithfulness. You don't worry about the number, you worry about the text. You don't worry about the number, you worry about being faithful to the text. You don't worry about the number, you worry about your Savior. You don't worry about the number, you worry about how much you studied and how committed. And even if you know only one person is going to show up, you put in the same time of study for one as you would for 10,000. And you would sit there and go, amen, I'm going to have that attitude. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. But I know 10,000 people are going to show up. I Look, look yeah, I'm, I'm going to have the right attitude, but I know 500 people are going to show up. Look, look, I'm going to have the right attitude, but I know I'm going to have a church of 200 and those 200 people are going to show up for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday. Oh, and they're going to be asking for extra services and they're going to be calling me every day going, Pastor, I was studying my Bible and I was reading my Bible and I have theological questions. And do you think we can have some extra services? And what can I do to help your church? Oh, you keep telling yourself, yeah, yeah, I'm going to have the right attitude. But in your mind, it's going to be like this. In your mind, you're going to say, all right, guys, this week, study this. And then when you get to church the next week and you're like, okay, guys, tell me about your study. People are going to pull out notes and they're like, oh, I read this and I read. You, you have this vision of how it's going to be. Then you get into ministry and it doesn't always work that way. In fact, it almost never works out the way you envisioned it. But you tell yourself, I, I'm going to have the right attitude. I'm, I'm in this. It's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about my pride. It's about preaching the word of God, whether it's in front of one or whether it's in front of 10,000. You, you so, I think in deep down, you really, 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 really believe it until it happens. <laughs> this morning, July the 23rd, 2023, at Victory Baptist Church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, I stood behind the pulpit for the Sunday school hour, and there was only one person in the entire 
sanctuary. Now, everything told me, you know what? You know what? No, 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 no. Just, just don't, just don't, just what? Just don't do anything. Just, just, just sit down for the hour and then, you know, hey, we'll, we'll wait till the next hour when, when hopefully more people will show up, you know, just, 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 but I, but there was something that said, no, you're turn on the microphone and do something. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I I have not uploaded the message to the church one app or to the sermons 2.0 app. I believe it will be entitled Jeremiah part 29. When I upload it, by all means, listen to that first like 15, 20 minutes. You, I think you'll be able to hear that clearly no matter that I'm going I'm going through the motions. You can tell that, that, that yeah, now maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm going to kind of condition you to hear it, but I think you'll be able to hear something's not quite right because it was weird. It was odd. It was, it was crazy. Now we did have uh, visitor, vi- visitors who walked in somewhere like, um, right. I don't know how far in because I was trying just not to even look up. I was just trying to look at the pulpit uh, because I was so just, uh, I was trying to put my, I was trying to put it in my mind. You're in your podcast studio. You're in your podcast studio. This is just a podcast. But it was so like, I was so just like, how did I, how did, how did I get here? Right. So then you're like, man, you know, you start thinking about everything you've done right, everything you've done wrong. You you start questioning, like you're, you're trying to preach Jeremiah chapter 12, but all your brain is saying, how did you get yourself here? Like how, you, you know, it's your own fault because you wouldn't just go along with the template. You won't do things that you, 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 you refuse to compromise. Like, you know, you, you, you're too hard headed. You know, you wouldn't do church the normal way. No, 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 no. You had to do church the not, the, the, the you know, not the normal way. So you know, this is going to be, you knew this was going to be the end result. You knew deep down that it was never going to be successful and your idea was going to fall flat. That Nobody was going to buy into it, right? Nobody, when I say nobody, not in any large numbers. You, you had to be prepared for this. So you're like, that's what my mind is thinking. So you can hear, when I upload it, it'll be Jeremiah part 29. It's already on all the podcasting apps. Um, part of me wants to just go pull it down and delete it. But um, I, I was like, man, you know, what is happening? So, you know, so visitors came in. I was glad that that happened. But at the same time, I was petrified and horrified that they would walk in. Now, they have been a part of the church in the past and moved away. So at least I felt a little bit more comfortable with them being the ones who walked in. But but still, it was like, oh, God, could this get any worse? Can, can I just go find a hole and die? Like, I was thinking, you know what? Maybe when I leave, I just get in my car and just drive away. Just drive away. Maybe I drive to Salem and just never be heard from again. That just, I'm going to sell everything and that's it. No, I'm just never going to be heard from again. That, that'll just be the end of me because it was just like, I'm dying with, of, of embarrassment, right? You're like, how, like, but, but see, but then at that point, it became about me. See, that's, see, that's so, it's so, 
horrible that at any point it, it, the thinking wasn't about, okay, this is Jeremiah chapter 12. Be faithful to Jeremiah. Be faithful to Jeremiah 12. It was about how embarrassing this is. I look like a failure. This is humiliating. I'm pathetic. Why? Why am I even trying to do this? Yeah, I could, I, I, I could, I could go do something else and maybe be more successful. Uh, who wants public humiliation? Who wants, who wants, it became about, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter if I was there preaching, inside it became all about me, which demonstrates that all those times in Bible college when I was like, amen, that's going to be me. I think I really meant it with my mouth, but clearly I didn't mean it in my heart when I finally get put to the test in a meaningful way. It, it, it was it was bad, but I, I did my very best. I tried. I think you can hear me kind of loosen up a little bit. I kind of start looking up, and and then I'm like, okay, okay, all right. And then I and then I kind of go back into just my normal way of teaching. Here's Jeremiah 12. Here's these verses, and you hear, hear me kind of like f- try to formulate. Like typically, I would have the crowd involved a little bit more. Try to build kind of a an outline of points based off the text in front of us. I think I, I think like there's a part of it I just kind of want to clip out and then cut out the front part of the sermon and just have that. But you know, it, it's it's a audio, it's an audio capture of that moment in time. So I I will always know that Sunday, July the twenty third. I literally I started off standing in front of one person and then a couple of more people walked in. But it was it will always remind me of it's one thing to say something, it's another thing to live it and to do it. It's like, you know, I I, I do believe Peter when he said, "Hey, I would die for you." I, he believed it inside, but clearly it, it, it's one thing to say something. It's another thing for it to happen. So I preached it. Now, the visitor was very kind um, and said, thank you very much for the message. It was it, it was perfect or it, you know, I, I don't remember. Their, I don't want to, you know, exaggerate it, but they, they thanked me. Now, they probably were just out of pity. They probably was like, this is so sad. I got to go say something nice to this guy because this is the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. And when I get out of here, I'm going to call everyone going, you're not going to believe. Okay, what? I'm joking. I hope they didn't do that. Maybe they did. Who cares if they did? See, ultimately, it doesn't matter if they did because see, that makes it about me, makes it about me. But I'm telling you, it needed to be about Jeremiah chapter 12. Now, in the next hour, Woohoo! We increased our size by one person. So then for Sunday morning, I literally only had two people in the entire sanctuary. Yes, it was. And you can say, well, what happened? Where was everybody? It was a, it was the perfect storm. It was the perfect storm where just everything went horribly wrong, where just people were out of town. This was, it just, everything went wrong. So, um, yeah. And so I, 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 I don't know what to say, but then on the drive home and then I had to go to the airport, we had to turn in a rental car. So there were some other things we had to do. We had to get a rental car because well, just the whole weekend's been crazy. But at some point, it hit me. Don't you remember the 2023 National Sword Conference? Don't you remember that someone preached a sermon on Zechariah chapter 4? Don't you remember that they told you in that sermon 
about not despising small things? Don't you remember that message? You you even said that you found it extremely encouraging. Well, if you ever need that encouragement, it is today, July the 23rd, 2023. If there was ever a time you needed that encouragement, it's right now. So all I can do right now is I'm really going to kind of just remind myself of this and maybe this will benefit you in some way. I don't know how it will be. I don't know how this translates over to you. Maybe it will only translate over to you and how you judge and perceive certain things. All right, but we're going to look at Zechariah chapter four, where I'm going to be utilizing a couple of things. I'm going to be utilizing two articles about Zechariah chapter four, verse 10, and and I'm going to be utilizing the message that was preached at the 2023 National Sword Conference. I don't have the audio of it, but I I have notes, and um, it was uh, preached by George Alquist, I think that's how you say his name, when God goes small. When God goes small, he preached this at around 10.30 a.m. I don't remember which day of the conference. Um, this message was had a had profoundly impacted me. Now, this is one of those situations where I, mean, I think he, I think he, I think he, he took, he could have done a little bit more with Zechariah chapter four. See, this is one of those situations where I could be just all nitpicky and go, Hey, he didn't cover this and he didn't really go the historical context. He, he, he could have done more with the text, but the point was he took the principle from the text and then showed how that principle plays out and lots of, of scripture. So I, I, I still think it was a very biblical based message, but I know this, it was powerful to me. Now, the danger is here, because I'm the pastor of a little small church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, in a sense, just barely surviving from a human standpoint, working as hard as I can on a, on a podcast, trying to build support and trying to, to do what I can. You know, in, in a sense, it's just like trying to keep your head above water, just trying to how long can I keep this going before, you know, it just sinks? You know, there's only, you only have a bucket so big to keep trying to, in a sense, get the water out of the boat. I mean, the boat's sinking. I mean, like, you know, how do you keep it going? But at least, so, so because of that reality, obviously a message like this is going to be very impactful on me. Now, the key is you can't let a message impact you if it's not based off scripture. But I do believe, believe the principles put forth in this sermon was biblical. And I think it's a reminder, one for those in ministry, and it may be a reminder for those of you not in ministry and how you perceive things. I think we can all agree on this, at least theological concept. Our perception of things are rarely in agreement with God's perception of things. The way we see, the way we perceive, the way we judge is almost inherently flawed. One, we have a heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So our perception is already messed up just because of our depravity. But the way we think, it's it's never completely accurate. It's never in complete accordance with God's ways and God's thoughts. The scriptures tells us God's ways and our thoughts are not our ways and our thoughts. Now we like to convince ourselves as Christians that we do see things accurately, that we do have a biblical perspective. But so many times 
our perspective is off because this more, I just, I mean, I'll just use me for an example, right? Not as a good an example as a bad. There I stand. I'm behind the pulpit. I have a microphone on. I've got a Bible open in front of me. I'm getting the opportunity to preach on Jeremiah chapter 12. But all I could think about was how humiliating it was. All I could think about is me. I'm the failure. I'm pathetic. I am weak. I don't know what I'm doing. I've destroyed everything. Why am I even here? Like it became about me. Now, yeah, do you, when, when things like that happen, you have to ask yourself some hard questions and I'm not afraid of those hard questions. And I'm more than willing to admit that my way is clearly not the way, it, my way is not what people want. I understand that. I look, I just, I know that's the reality. I know, but, but I, I do know that. And you can say people will always, when my, if anyone was to ever take my philos, my minister, my ministry philosophy and put it to an argument, I think 98% of Christians will say his way was wrong. His way was foolish. His way was misguided. His way was stupid. His way wasn't biblical. And that's why he was a failure. And you know what? The 98% may be right. The 2% who may go, wow, I like that approach. It's interesting. We'll always be in the minority. I, it would be great if I could get that 2% to 3%. It would be great if I could get the 3 to 4%. Wouldn't it be great if one day I could get like maybe 5% of people to go, hey, I agree with your perspective and your philosophy, but it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And that's okay. That's okay. But see, once again, that all makes it about me. But I'm more than willing to have that conversation. But let's look at Zechariah chapter 4, because this is really the text. And let's take what kind of, well, I don't think there's any other human words to express it other than an absolute and total humiliating, embarrassing train wreck of epic proportions that I will never, never forget. Okay, so I think that's the best way to describe today, but maybe somehow out of an absolutely epic train wreck of <laughs> of epic proportions that was humiliating and embarrassing something good can can arise from the train wreck we will see zechariah chapter 4 and the angel that talked with me came again waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and he said to me what seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel said, then the angel that talkest with me answered and said unto me, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying, not by my might, nor by power, but by but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, stop right here. Zechariah chapter four, verse six. The phrase is ripped out of context so much. 
Well, we constantly say, not by my might, nor by my, my power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We do need to kind of know exactly what is going on here. And clearly, this is a word unto whom, ladies and gentlemen? This is a word unto Zerubbabel. Verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou, Zerubbabel, thou shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone. Therefore, with shoutings, crying, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Now, clearly, if we have some kind of idea of what's going on here, remember, the temple gets destroyed. We remember Judah goes into Babylonian captivity. The temple is destroyed. And at some point when they come out, the temple is rebuilt. And here, Zerubbabel is connected to the rebuilding of this temple. So God is basically saying, hey, 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 not that God is going to work in and through Zerubbabel to accomplish God's task. Zerubbabel is the person, God has a task, and that a task will be accomplished. So for, first and foremost, everything here is about Zerubbabel. But look at verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now, there is much to unpack, but Zerubbabel is going to lay the foundation. Zerubbabel is going to build a temple. And there are those who may despise the day of small things. That somehow what Zerubbabel is doing could be despised by some. It could be despised because do you really think you're going to build a temple? It could be despised by that's it. That's all you've built. Do you remember Solomon? It's insignificant. So there's an attitude of possibly despising small things. Now, we will look at some commentaries on this and look at what people have to say, but we have to ask ourselves, we'll just start right here more from a topical perspective. Do you despise small things? And do I despise small things? Now, you can ask this in a material way. You could ask this in a physical way, but I think this is more referencing spiritual things. Do you despise small things, spiritually speaking? Because we always seem to connect God's blessing, God's power, God moving in connection to that which is large and growing. When it comes to spiritual things, Hey, God is blessing that church because it's growing numerically. God is moving because it's growing numerically. God is moving. Look at the new building they just got. God is moving. Look at the remodeling they did of their sanctuary. God is moving. Everything is connected. God is moving and we connect it to numbers, buildings, and growth. And if something is not growing, 
then we immediately say, God isn't moving. Ichabod above the place. God has departed. The place is dead. Forget about it. Go find something new and exciting. Do we despise small things when maybe our perception of what God is doing is not completely accurate. Now, of course, there's there's a little bit, I've got to be honest with myself, right? I got to be honest with myself because this would fall right into me to, to be encouraging to me because then I could say, hey, we are the small thing. If you despise us, that's because your perception is wrong. It could be that maybe, yeah, well, we've done everything wrong and and, 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 and it is true, but I think we got to be very careful because clearly God sometimes may actually work through small things. Now, I'm going to reference a little bit of the sermon that I mentioned that was preached at the 2023 National Sword Conference. I'm just going to be uh, quoting some of it. We live in a time where there is a derision of the small. Our eyes and our fancies are captured by the big, living large. Small stores, pharmacy, hardware store, shoemaker are all lost. Everything is big now, including the megachurches, their auditoriums. There are advantages and, and, uh, and, uh, there's, there are advantages for palaces and for bigness. There, there, there are advantages, but there is beauty, dignity, and advantage in the small. Small doesn't mean failure. It doesn't mean not having what it takes. It doesn't mean not enough effort or doesn't have the blessing of God. We tend to think this of pastors and small churches. Now, there are advantages of being big. Well, let's just be honest. Hey, if 60% of your people don't show up, you still have a large crowd. If 50% of your crowd doesn't show up, you're still good to go, right? You don't even have to worry about canceling a service, even if 50% of the people are not there, because you still can pack up half, pack of half of your, you know, sanctuary. There are advantages of being big. You have more money. You, you have more ability to do more things and, and to do this and to do that and buy this equipment and do this and support this and do that and do this. And you have more. So there's, there's always good, but then there are, there are probably disadvantages to being big, more conflict, more difficulty, more people to try to please more. And you have more bills and now you need more money. So then for you're more afraid, you're more afraid to lose anyone because you've got all of this stuff. Now you have to support. So you may be unwilling to say what you need to say. There are disadvantages to being big. There are advantages to being small, right? Everyone knows each other, right? Everyone, you kind of have kind of a more family feel. So you feel like you can be more open and just maybe you feel like you can be more blunt behind the uh, pulpit because it's kind of family, right? They, 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 you can kind of be more blunt with your family and you think that they will take it the right way, right? There, there, it's just a, it, there's a kind of a closeness there and it just feels more comfortable, right? You don't have to ever feel awkward. However, there's disadvantages of being small, right? You 50%, 60% of your people are gone. You, you That may be like one or two people left, right? That, that can be, you may have to cancel a service. Like there's not much you can do. Obviously, if you tick off anybody, anybody gets mad, 
anybody walks out that door, it's like, it's like, it's like getting shot. Like in a big, a big, a big church, someone leaves. Oh, it may be sad because you don't ever want anyone to leave, but you're kind of like, okay, see you bye. Life goes on. And a little church, someone walks out the door. It's like someone just took a knife and went, they stabbed you in the chest five times, kicked you, spat on you, and then walked out. And they did, and they're usually peace out gone. And how it may impact the rest of the people, they moved on. And it's kind of like, man, that is so devastating. Right? So in some cases, logically, logically, what you should do is shut your mouth, please the people, don't tick off anyone because you don't, you can't afford anyone to leave. But yeah, I'm the idiot who can't keep his mouth shut. And I'm the idiot who can't keep exploring theology. And I'm the idiot who keeps asking hard theological questions. So I know that I'm an idiot for how I've conducted myself because any reasonable person would be like, hey, 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 just give the people what they want. Give them three points. Just give them a nice little sermon. Get them out by 12. Just come on, man. Just stop all of this. Stop the theology and the exploring and the questioning and the reworking and the theological hypotheses and testing them. Just give the people what they want. In fact, just limit the number of services and help yourself out, right? Just, just have Sunday morning or, and get rid of Wednesday and maybe get rid of Sunday night or just get rid of Sunday school. Like, like, you know, logically, because even large churches will modify their schedule. If they, if, if, if they have a big drop off in the summer, they will modify it and lessen services or then they will increase services. Maybe, but no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm going to do Sunday school. I'm going to do Sunday morning. I'm going to do Sunday night. I'm going to do Wednesday. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I don't do it. But there, there are disadvantages there being small as well. There, there's advantages, there's disadvantages, being both large and small, that you've got both. But I wonder, what's the attitude when you see the small? Come on now. Come on now. Come on. Get in your car. Come on. It's Sunday afternoon. Go for a Sunday drive. I dare you. Get in a Sunday. Get, come on. Get in your car. Go drive around town. Look at the churches. See that little storefront? See that little broken down building? Come on, what do you think about them? Come on, you can be honest. Ooh, that could be like a cult. What is that? Why do they even exist? There's 15 churches around them with nice huge buildings and parking lots. Got fellowship halls, basketball courts, an amusement park. Okay, whatever. They laser show, uh, a praise band, a little church. Come on, come on now. What do you think? That church has been there 10 years. It's not even growing. They're dead. They're dead. There's no revival there. God's not moving. Come on now. You can be honest with yourself because you're thinking, well, why are they small? Why are they small? Like, that's going to be your thinking. They must have done something. I wonder if there was a church split. I wonder if there was a scandal. There's got to be some reason. There's got to be a reason. 
There's got to be a reason. Do you despise the small things? The sermon then quotes Zechariah 4.10 and asks this question, who has despised the day of small things? The sermon claimed that God wasn't pleased. We must never get to the place where we despise the small or look on them as being inferior. Zerubbabel's temple was built by the same God that built Solomon's temple. God, uh, and, and that's a good thing to, 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 to say, to, to realize. God is the one directing the building of Zerubbabel versus the building of Solomon. He built both in a sense. Why was one bigger and one smaller? We have to remember God made the universe and he made the atom. He made the lion, but he made the smallest insect. He made the well, but he made the smallest sea life you can find in the ocean. Right? He made the dinosaurs and the butterflies. Now, if God made the big and the small, and we believe in the sovereignty of God, who are, who are you? Who, are, who am I to despise the small things? Now, what we want to somehow do is God is somehow... Now, sometimes we kind of, con- we, we kind of contradict ourselves because on one hand, we'll be like, it's not about the numbers. And just because a church is big doesn't mean the doctrine is true. And we sound so good, but then we'll turn around and little by little, we'll find a little bit of ourselves despising the small things. And listen, it's not just you in the pew. Pastors sometimes despise the small things. How many pastors want to go walk into a little broken down building in the middle of nowhere and be a pastor? You can be a pastor of a little small church in the middle of nowhere. And if you're not careful, you will begin to be the one despising the small thing. And that is directed at me. The sermon went on to say, God and small people. The church is made up of small, untalented, unknown people. Joseph and Mary were chosen to bring the Messiah into the world. Who were they? Gideon, a nobody and nothing chosen to deliver a nation. David, the least of his brothers, was used to defeat a giant. Abram, a relative nobody whom God used to birth a nation. Israel, his chosen people, not because they were more in number, because they were the fewest. That's Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, I believe, 7, 7. The Apostle Paul, who considered himself the chief of sinners and the least of the apostles, wrote most of the New Testament. Benjamin, through whom God would send the lineage of David. Saul said he was small and a small family in a small tribe. An unnamed widow in Matthew chapter 12, whose offering was said to have been larger than all the others. And then Rahab, Barak, Jephthah, Samuel. Unto the least you have done unto me, God uses the little to glorify himself. 
And I think there's many, plenty of times God uses the small, the unknown, the weak in the Bible. In fact, there seems to be some scriptures about some of this, right? There seems to be some scriptures about this in the New Testament. I think the one I'm thinking of is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, there is nothing for me to glory in. I mean, there's nothing left. There's no nothing in myself to glory in because I definitely know I'm a sinner and a failure with weakness. There is nothing to glory in as far as what I have in my ministry because if anyone was to drive by it or if anybody would have walked in today on July the 23rd, 2023, they would have walked in and said, this is an absolute humiliating embarrassment joke of a train wreck. I'm walking out and I'm going to tell everyone how pathetic it was because we're going to say we had 400, we had 200, we had 300. And here I was with one, then visitors came in, then they had to leave, and then two. And I despised the small thing. I despised it. Not No pretense here. Not acting godly. I did. And then you think, what's the point? How's God going to use this little small ministry in the middle of nowhere? We're barely surviving. How are we even going to make it? Now, if we're honest, from a human perspective, we could disappear tomorrow. Look, tomorrow, Victory Baptist Church goes away. The Theology Central podcast goes away. Come on. Nobody's going to care. Come on, let's be honest. No one's going to. It's not going to matter. It's, it's just, who cares? But just because we're insignificant doesn't mean it should be despised. Doesn't mean it still can't be used in some way, shape, or form. Now, I don't know. I don't know how long it all lasts. I mean, I've talked about, I, in fact, what's crazy is this sermon came right after I kind of talked about some of these same frustrations. Then this sermon came and then who knew that this sermon was going to be so instrumental in what was coming on July the 23rd. But God uses, in a sense, small people. God uses small places. The sermon went on to say he had gone, he had gone, 
he had gone uh, to a small a majority of times. He uses places like he uses pla- uh, places, Zerubbabel's temple, smaller and less glorious than Solomon's temple. But it was the one that Jesus would grace with his presence. Just think about that. Jesus never walked into Solomon's temple. He walked into Zerubbabel. Bethlehem was little among Judah. Micah chapter five, verse two. That's where the Savior is born. A stable, most unworthy to receive the Savior of mankind. He's in a stable, not a palace, a stable. Fishes. They had few small fishes. It wasn't two big fishes. It was two small fishes. God uses small things. And he goes on in the sermon to name a number of things that God uses that are small. People, places, uh, so many different things. Small power, in a sense. He will use it. But he, God uses small things. It's throughout the Bible. In fact, think about it. He used... Look what he used to save you and redeem you. He took his son, the second person of the Trinity, and it says that the the son took upon, wrapped himself in human flesh, became true God, yet true man. He looked just like the rest of it. There was nothing in him that you would be like, wait, he's so different than all of us. And he suffered and died as a criminal. Death. Now, if something... If you want to despise something that seems small, something that looks like defeat, it would be death. But in his death, he purchased salvation through the shedding of his blood. Salvation comes through the most despised small thing, death. Small in the sense that it looks like total and complete defeat. Do we despise small things? Now I could I could read through a little bit more of the sermon, but let's just go to a um, let's go to let's see here. Let's go to a commentary on Zechariah four ten. I'm going to read it from a different translation. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. This commentary says this, for who has despised the day of small things? No one understands God and what he is working out looks. Okay, hang on. Let me read this again. For who has despised the small things, the day of small things? No one who understands God and what he is working out looks down on the times when only insignificant things seem to be accomplished. Now, no one who understands God and what he's working out. So if you really understand God and really understand what he's working out, you will not, in a sense, look down on times when it seems that only insignificant things are being accomplished. Those who understand what God is doing know that the day of small things must take place before big things can happen. Now, the only problem here is that it's making it sound like small things is a guarantee big things are going to happen, but maybe... Maybe big things in a spiritual way, but maybe never big in a physical or material way. Now, it says here, this is primarily an encouragement to the two witnesses, which I thought was interesting. They work 
Their work will appear as nothing to begin with. Nevertheless, they will not despise it because they know that small things must happen before bigger things can take place. The things that will really put them on the map during the final three and a half years. But the small things that happen before that time and measuring the altar, the temple, and the worshipers will set the stage for their major work. And he's referencing Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. Okay, so they try to kind of connect it to the two witnesses in Revelation. You can, that gets into a debate about eschatology, but here's the next paragraph. It is important to realize from the historical point of view that even when the temple was finished, the people moaned about it. This is nothing like Solomon's temple. It seemed a small thing in itself, and it was. It was just a bare representation of the original temple that David built through Solomon. Nevertheless, it was necessary. The small things that happened back then, the Jews returning from exile with great many of the Levites and the priests, building the temple and putting a wall around the city and eventually colonizing uh, most of the old land of Israel, particularly around the Sea of Galilee, made the birth and ministry of Jesus Christ possible. He had to have a temple to come to. So those small things may have seemed insignificant. And from that historical perspective, they would have never seen the significance of what they were doing. They would build that temple and they would despise it. But yet that would be the temple that Jesus Christ would come to. That's the temple where he would be presented in. So all those small things that happened with this tiny number of people who came back from Babylon and all the work they did over a hundred years or so prepared the way for the very big thing of the first advent of Jesus Christ, meaning his entire life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Without the small things, uh, that big thing would never have happened. God was preparing for the big thing through the small things, and he does that all the time. Thus, any faithful person will not despise the times when only small things are happening because they mean that big things are coming and that they should prepare themselves for them. Now, I do understand what they're saying, but I think we do have to be careful with that. We don't despise small things because God works through small things and we just accept that. And guess what? The, the, here's the main thing we don't despise small things because small things has a way of giving God bigger glory. Big things, you have a tendency to say, well, obviously they can do this, and obviously they can do this. They're stronger, they're smarter, they have more people, they have more reach. They, and so sometimes God loses the glory and the, the, the people, the church, the, the, they begin to get the glory, they begin to get the honor, and you, in a roundabout way, sometimes even though they wouldn't admit it, they kind of think that they're doing a better, they kind of take a little bit of credit. They kind of say, well, look at us, we're doing it even though they might not say it that way. But when something is really small, really insignificant, God gets all the glory. Let me go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and things that are despised hath God chosen. Yea, things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Well, I know this. After today, I mean, I already knew it before today, but today was like, you know, 
drive the nail in the coffin. I got nothing to glory before God in. I obviously have nothing to glory before God when it comes to my life because I'm a sinner and I fall short. But now there is nothing to glorify in, even in my ministry, because I literally today stood in front of one person and then two people. Now, yes, 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 it feels good. It feels good to pat myself on the back and say, man, my podcast is in the top 5% of all podcasts. It does feel good to say that. But does it really matter if my podcast is in the top 5% of all podcasts? If the very edifice, in a sense, that supports this podcast, the very thing that really I don't even know what happens to this podcast without the church. If the church goes, I don't even know. Like in some ways, does, does this podcast, it's, is it hanging by a thread? So do I glory in it knowing it could be gone like that? Because again, it costs money to do all of this. It, 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 you know what I'm saying? It takes money. Maybe, maybe from a purely spiritual standpoint, I could take, maybe I took too much pride in that podcast statistic. And this is a reminder, hey, Don't despise the small thing. And don't glory in the success. Because if it's success or if it's small, God gets the glory. You don't. Don't make the podcast about you. Don't promote you. Don't sell yourself. Promote what theology, doctrine, Christ, the word of God. Get yourself out of the way. Don't take pride in the big and don't despise the small because no matter how big you may think you are, in reality, you're small. Can we see God move in the small thing? Now, just for your own Bible study tonight, choose scripture that shows God using something small and insignificant. Find five. We looked at a little bit right there. We looked at a little bit in that sermon, right? I can just kind of go through some of them. Now, I didn't really go. We didn't look at the scriptures, but find the scriptures and read the scriptures of God using the small things, if I can pull up the sermon notes again. Let me go through some of them, all right? Because he mentioned a bunch right here, okay? Uh, Joseph and Mary. I think you could say they were small and insignificant, right? I think th- I think that's fair to say. You may not have a verse that would really articulate that, but I think that they were. I mean, look at their situation. You talk about two people who could be despised. Hey, that that woman who was betrothed to that man, she's pregnant? I mean, the whole thing just screams like, God, you talk about a a situation that could just look questionable, that people could despise, that people could be like, something's right or wrong there. Joseph and Mary, 
Gideon, go look up some scriptures about Gideon. Was he small and insignificant? And then look at what he accomplished. Like find the scriptures that kind of describe Gideon and then then find a scripture that kind of summarizes what he accomplished and go, hmm, God seemed to use a small thing there. David, I mean, come on. Think about, if you really think about David, he was the least of his brothers. He was this little small boy who took down a giant. But here's what's even more amazing about David. He was a man who committed adultery, who committed murder, who committed cover-up. And yet, how many Psalms are attributed to David? Somehow he was a man after God's own heart. Because guess what? David doesn't get the glory for anything he did. God does. Think about Solomon. Man was a serial adulterer. Full-blown polygamist. His name is attached to the glorious temple. Look look at all his writings in the Bible. Now, you could say, well, Solomon should not be despised as being a small thing, but he definitely would be despised (laughs) based off many of the things he did, would he not? How about Benjamin? How about the unnamed widow in Matthew 12? She doesn't even get named. How about Bethlehem? How about the stable? How about the two small fishes? How about, was it a still small voice that woke up Elijah? Wasn't there a contrast there between the things that seemed loud, but there was, God wasn't speaking in them, but it was a still small voice? Shouldn't we rejoice when one sinner repents? How does that transfer over to maybe one person at church? How about 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not as us. Think about this, the treasury that we have of God, work, God in us. It's in an earthen vessel, something that can be despised. That the power may be of God and not of us. And then don't we have the powerful passage in Second Corinthians? Verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven and knew, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God knoweth how that he was caught up into the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Hey, I'm not going to glory in this kind of thing. I'm going to glory in my infirmities. I'm going to glory in my weakness. Well, that, that sounds crazy. 
For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he hath seen me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He's given a thorn in the flesh. Whatever this thorn in the flesh is, it sounds like something that would be horrible. Something, and thorn in the flesh just sounds horrible, right? It's very picturesque. Now, guess what? Guess what? It's there to do what? It's there to buffet me. To cause pain. Guess what you may do with something like that? You may despise it. But he doesn't despise it. Look what he says. For this thing I, I, I besought the Lord thrice that it may depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my weakness is made perfect, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. He wanted to get rid of it. But then he was like, you know what? If God's strength is made perfect in weakness, then I'm going into, in a sense, I will glory in my infirmity. I will glory in those things that I should, that you think I would despise because they are what brings God greater glory. So if God received greater glory today because I stood in front of one person, then I should be happy and not despise it. If, if God gets more glory because of my own failure, my own mistakes, my own stupidity, and I'm broken and humiliated and people say negative things about me and talk about me. If God gets more glory, then great. Now, if God doesn't get more glory, then that's a bad thing, obviously. Therefore, I will take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, the weakest I can be is when I am broken and humiliated and feel like an absolute failure and realize that I cannot accomplish anything. If that's what gives God the glory, then I should I should rather than be glad for that. And now I can't say that's how I felt this morning. I cannot. In fact, I was so discouraged and broken and humiliated. We're not even having evening services tonight. So here I sit in an empty room in the Theology Central studio, right? I try to make that sound so glamorous. It's a, it's a second story room in my house that used to be a homeschool room and it still has all the homeschool stuff up. It does not look like a studio. It's a mess. There's nothing glorious about it in any way, shape or form. Shape or form. But yeah, I call it the Theology Central Studio. Maybe because that sounds more glorious. So maybe that's my own, that's maybe my own right there demonstrating to see I don't, if people saw this room, if people saw this setup, they would despise the small things. Have you seen people who do video podcasting? Have you? Do you see that they're sitting in front of a green screen? They're sitting in front of a green screen. So the background looks like a, like, I've seen some do it. Like, they, it looks like they're sitting at a bar, like they're in a bar. It's a green screen. They're sitting there like they're sitting behind, maybe in front of a library. It's a green screen. 
looks like they're sitting in like a news, like a news desk, like in a news. It's a green screen. Who knows what the room actually looks like, but they cover it up with a green screen. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, that by all means, right? Because that looks more professional. It look, and I understand what you're trying to convey. But are, do we do that because we know people may despise the small things? Now, what would you have done? Come on. If you lived at that time, you've heard all the stories about Solomon's temple, how big, how glorious, how magnificent it was. And you get called out and you see Zerubbabel has laid the foundation and he's laying down all the things for the temple. And you look at it and you're like, uh, (laughs) are you kidding me? After 70 years of captivity and that's the best we can do? Oh, come on. What is this? Now, what would you have done if across town someone was building a bigger temple and it was going to be glorious and it was going to be bigger than Solomon? Would you be like, that's the one God is blessing. That's the one. Or would you have been like, no, 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 no. This is the one God is in. This is where God is moving. Come on. If you let's come on, let's just be honest. If you, if you heard that the Savior was being born in Bethlehem, would you have been like, of course that's where the Savior is going to be born. Or you'd be like, really? Not even going to be born in Jerusalem? Not even going to be born near Zerubbabel's temple? Even that temple? If you found out that he was from Nazareth, come on, what would you have done? If you, if you heard that the Savior was born of a woman who is engaged to be married, but was not quite truly married, would you have been like, there's no way the Savior, no, that's wrong. If you would have found the, the baby in the stable, in a manger, come on, what would you have thought? There's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the, the eternal son of God, the maker of heaven and earth. Come on. Or would you have been like, what is that? Come on. Come on. What is that? If you'd have seen a bloody cross, would you have been like, there is my God. Or would you have been like, oh, that's embarrassing. That whole thing about Jesus, it ended ugly. Okay, shh. No, 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 no. I wasn't one of his disciples. No, no. I always knew he was crazy. I always knew how this was going to end. There's no way. When you see the little ministry, you're like, nah, I'm not going to support that. Ooh, look over there. Nice big ministry. I'm going to support that. When you're a pastor and it's only one person, do you go, the word of God was preached to God be the glory. I was honored to preach it to one. Or do you get in your car and you're like, I'm a failure. I'm an idiot. Why am I even doing this? Just forget it. End it all, move on, end the podcast, 
Don't let change your name. Go literally, literally think about just go get an, an actual legal change of name. I don't know how difficult that will be and just move away and just be done with it all. Never to be heard from again. Just be anonymous. When you start questioning, come on, what's even the point of the podcast? Is it, have I, have I really, has my podcast really done anything so that there's a group of people who are growing spiritually, who are putting themselves aside going, Hey, let's, let's make this work. And let's, 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 let's do what we can to, and see it as something important. Or is it just not done anything for anyone? And it's just a, it's just an opportunity for me to talk. It's really not helping. It's not really doing any. I mean, those are hard questions I have to ask myself because look, sometimes I can say, Hey, people despise the small things, right? But that could just be me protecting going, come on, reality podcast, not helping anybody. People, people aren't growing spiritually. We're just as fleshly. No, it's not creating this, this, you know, group of people who are like, come on, let's, God can do something with us. Let's, 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 let's do this. Let's work together. Let's make this like, I, I, I don't like, you have to just sometimes go, I think I've just failed in every way. But even if I failed, what I should be more worried about, and I'll end with this, is not my failure, not how it reflects on me. See, that's all the wrong attitude anyway. It should be, does it negatively reflect on God's glory? And if my failure negatively reflects on God's glory, then, then only have I truly failed. If my podcast has not brought glory to God, if my church has not brought glory to God, then I have failed. If my church never helped anyone spiritually, then I failed. If this podcast, no matter how many the numbers, if people aren't really like, man, I, I'm really being challenged to, to think differently and to set myself aside and to commit myself. Like if it just becomes, I don't know, just creates more selfishness, self-centeredness, arrogance, ungodliness, hatred, division, if it all it does is create negativity, well, then that doesn't bring God glory. So I failed. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. It is Sunday, July the 23rd, 2023. And on this day, one person showed up to Sunday school at Victory Baptist Church. Thank God a visitor walked in. Embarrassing, yes. Thank goodness they have attended the church in the past. And thank goodness someone showed up for Sunday morning. But maybe somehow in all of that, it just proves God chooses the foolish and the weak. Now, if God isn't glorified, then I should not be patting. Then there, there, then it doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter if one shows up, doesn't matter if 500 shows up. If God isn't glorified, it doesn't matter. I can't take pride in either one. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening to this very long podcast episode. I apologize, but my sermon this morning was only 37 minutes. So, and I haven't done much podcasting. So this one probably went too long, meaning that this was probably a failure as well. So just add that to the list of failures for today. Thanks for listening. God bless.